Well, as you remain standing, I want to show you something majestic about Christ. I want to start tonight as we continue in this series called I Once Was Blind by showing, reminding you, or, or maybe showing you for the first time, something amazing about Christ. Tonight's text, I'm going to start Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Listen now to God's word. The text says, it says, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's stop right there. Let's, let's have a seat. Now, welcome tonight. If you were not here last week, I, I'm going to start by just uh, telling you how sad I am that you weren't here last week, because this is the second half of last week's sermon. Last week, we began this, this kind of explore, exploration of Satan, this enemy that we have, this one that we are called to stand against. And I realized in the, the final hours of pre preparation last weekend that I was like, I've got too much here. And so we had to cut it in half. So you got half a service or sermon last week. You get a half a sermon this week, but I think it's going to take the full amount of time. And if you were here last week, what we saw last week is this idea. My big idea last week and today is that you can stand against the devil if you stand in Christ. In fact, I think your notes have that in it. You have last week's message in your notes, and, and all of the blanks are filled in for last week. And that's what we talked about last week. In fact, you might remember, we talked about how Satan, the devil, that he is spiritual, and we talked about how he is the accuser. You guys remember that? We discovered last week that we have an accuser in the devil. And what he does is he goes to God the Father and he points at you and he says, let me tell you, God, about all of the things that, I'll just use myself as an example. Let me tell you, God, about all of the things that Mike has said. Let me tell you, God, about all of the things that Mike has done. He, he is accusing us. He's accusing you. Now, we also talked about our response to that. And I'll, I'll remind you of that response a little bit later. But, but I want to set up tonight. I want to set up tonight to, by getting you to think about how the accuser, he's always angling in your life to make the next accusation. Let, let, me, let me set it up like this. My first year here at Valley... My first year here at Valley, uh, had been getting to know Andrew for a number of months, and, and we were having just really, you know, a lot of good things happening. And, uh, and my first year, September rolled around, and uh, my birthday is in September. And so Andrew decided that he was going to have some fun. He wanted, to, he wanted to set me up a little bit for my birthday. And so what he did is he decided he was going to show up to my office earlier than I did with a bunch of balloons in my office, and he was going to hide behind a chair. And so when I showed up at Odark 30 in the morning, he could spring out and say surprise and really, you know, just have a fun time, right? And, and here's the deal. He knew he had to get there really early because I'm an early riser. And back in those days, I was in the office 5 a.m. I just got there super early and got my day started really, really early. Now, I spend most of my morning at home, and now I go in a little bit later, uh, work from home and then go in. But 
to get early, to get in before me. Andrew was thinking, he's like, you know what, I'm going to have to get in there like 4 or maybe 3.30. I don't even remember what time he showed up in my office. He got the spare key. He blew up a bunch of balloons. He littered my floor with it. And from like, I don't know, 3 a.m., he's in my office hiding behind a chair. No wonder he has back problems, right? Hiding behind a chair waiting for me. But here's what he didn't plan on. It was my birthday. (laughs) And so I wanted to have a birthday breakfast with my family. And so I worked from home for a few hours. And then after the rest of the family got up, we had, we had breakfast together, a nice leisurely breakfast together. And in fact, they gave me some gifts that I opened before I came into the office that morning. And, and so when I strolled in the office about 10 o'clock that day, <laughs> Andrew had wasted most of his day. And he was, well, he was a sleepy boy. But he was trying to set me up. You ever been set up? You, you ever set someone else up? Are you the kind of person that when April Fool's rolls around April 1st, you're like, oh, this is, this is my favorite holiday, right? This is the great day. This is the day of setups. Well, here's the deal. Andrew, he's pretty good at setups. It didn't work out well for him that day, right? I could be good at a few setups from, from time to time, but you have an enemy of your soul who is the master of the setup. He wants to set you up so that you will believe the wrong things and that you will live in the wrong way. And so he then can point at you as the accuser and say, look what Mike did. He's always trying to set you up. And so today, what I want to show you is two more ways the enemy works against you. What I really want to show you is his setup his setup scheme, his his designs, his plan, the way he angles to set you up. And so let's open up our Bibles. Let's open it up to Ephesians chapter 6. And I want you to see two ways tonight, and here's the first. Here's the first way that he angles to set you up, and it's not going to surprise you at all. It's because your enemy is a deceiver. Your enemy... Satan, this devil that stands against you, he is a deceiver. Do you remember this uh, this text that we've been kind of uh, stuck on for the last few weeks? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Well, we've been looking at his schemes We've mentioned his schemes, and tonight we are going to to bring into focus one of his chief schemes, and it's his scheme, which he wants to deceive you. Your enemy is a deceiver. I would argue one of his greatest schemes in your life is deception. Deception. Now, let's, let's consider for a little while tonight, how does he attempt to deceive you? What, what, is his, what is his play-by-play? What is the blueprint? What is the playbook? How is he striving to deceive you? Well, let me show you a few of these ways. This isn't going to be, we're just going to stay in one text today. We're going to kind of take a journey this evening and, and consider these tactics. So how does he try to deceive you? Well, first of all, he deceives by twisting Scripture. This is one of his most nefarious deceptions. 
He takes God's word and he twists it just enough so that it sounds like what God has said, but it's just off enough that you become deceived. In fact, this is his, this is his starting point. You remember, you remember in the garden, Genesis chapter 3? After God had made Adam and he'd made Eve, and he made them perfect compliments for one another, he placed them in paradise. They had everything they could ever want and everything they could ever need. They had, literally, it was Eden. It was, it was a paradise on earth. They had an abundance of everything. And God said, hey, there is one prohibition that I'm going to give to you. You shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the only tree. No, don't, don't eat from that tree. And then the enemy, the serpent, he makes his way up to Eve. And, and Adam likely is right there with her. And look at what he says. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, here it is, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now look at what he does here. He almost says what God says. He gets right up next to what God says. He uses some of the same exact language of what God has said, but he doesn't say what God says. He twists it. What did God say? He says, do not eat from one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does Satan's word say? You can put the scripture back on the screen for people to see. You can notice, it says, did God actually say, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Just a slight twist. Just a, just a small step away. Just an, an angle. Just, just two degrees off from true north. And this is where all the trouble starts, isn't it? He deceives them. Eve's response is that she wants to have her eyes open to know good and evil. Eve looks at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she, she says it looks good for food and that it's a delight to the eyes. Look at how beautiful that piece of fruit is. And then it says that she desires to be made wise. This is Satan's temptation. This is his deception. He, he twists the scripture. He almost says what's true, but he's just off enough. And this is the same tactic he uses in your life. He, this is the same tactic we see when, in many of the different cults and any, any of the works-based religion. This is the same tactic of, of our world when they stand against Christians and they'll use one quote from Jesus against you as if they can like, you know, use the Jesus juke. Well, you know, Jesus is loving, so why aren't you loving as a Christian, right? And they just use it as a weapon. They twist it just enough. Listen, that all comes from the same strategy that Satan used in the garden. It's the same strategy he wants to use for toward you right now. He wants to twist it. Not only that, but he, he deceives, secondly, by telling lies. Sometimes it's a twisting of Scripture. It's just a, a subtle twist, and sometimes it's an outright, just clear lie. 
know, when Jesus is in the book of John, Jesus is performing these signs. Some of you guys are following our Ancient Ways for Modern Days podcast. We've been walking through the gospel of John little by little and, and learning this great gospel of how Jesus is revealed as the Son of God. If you're not listening to that, I would really encourage you. It's a great way for our church to be on the same page and grow together. But Jesus is performing these signs that demonstrate who he is. And uh, the result of one of these signs is that the religious leaders, they come and they confront Jesus and they are unwilling to believe in Jesus. They resist Jesus. They actually end up wanting to kill Jesus. But John 8 verse 44, listen to Jesus's words as he's dealing with those who are unwilling to believe in the truth of who he is. Look at these. This is not meek and mild, oh so gentle Jesus. Look at what he says to these religious leaders. He says, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> Jesus, that's not really PC. Jesus, can you be a little more nuanced? Jesus, can you, can you calm down? No, these folks are unwilling to believe in him. They're resisting him to the point where they want to kill him. At one point in this, this back and forth, they call him possessed. So what does Jesus say? He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He, the devil, was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand, look at his, look at this, does not stand in the truth. The devil doesn't stand in the truth. He says, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. This is Satan's character. The devil himself, he is the father of all lies. Every lie that's told in our world that has a father, it has someone who is angling to deceive because Satan does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him whatsoever, he breathes out these kind of lies. He's always bringing these lies, and these lies, they always sound so welcoming because they appeal to our selfishness. These religious leaders, they were following their father, the devil. They were following Satan's lies because what were they doing? They were resisting Jesus, and they were preserving their own power and their own prestige and their own position. They were all about themselves. You realize these are the same lies that the enemy whispers in your ear even today? You want to know what the lies sound like today? Here, here you go. Ready? Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. You, you should you do whatever makes you happy. In fact, you do you, right? You do you. You be whoever you want to be. If it makes you happy, that's exactly what you should do. You should throw yourself head first into whatever desire or whatever passion or whatever it is you think will make you happy. What a dangerous, dangerous lie. You, you, when you follow your heart, you follow your heart that's deceptive. It's desperately sick. It will lead you down a path that will not fill you with hope and joy and peace. It will lead you down a path where you are listening to the lies of Satan. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Listen, that's everything he wants to lead you toward. Follow your heart. What are some other lies? Well, I'm only going to do this once. <laughs> no, don't raise your hand, but have you ever said that about a sin? I'm only going to cross this line once. I'm only going to do this, this one activity once. 
Uh, we live in a world that's full of one-time activities that become a lifestyle. That's just a little pot. Well, you know, I'm, I'm only going to try this, you know, these hard drugs just, just one time. I just want to know what they're like. How often has that lie ruined a life? I'm just curious, so I'm just going to check out pornography for a little bit. You know, I, I've got it completely under control. I can just, you know, I can turn it off any time that I want to. I'm just going to look for a moment. How about the lie? You, you deserve to be happy. <laughs> you deserve to be happy. I've seen people wreck marriages. They, they, they've wrecked their marriage under the mantra, I deserve to be happy. My spouse isn't just pleasing me the way they used to. Well, I, I find something wrong in my spouse. I find something wrong in their behavior or their, with this or that or their attitude or whatnot. Or, or they just annoy me. Or you know what? We've grown apart and I deserve to be happy. I mean, the lie list goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Let's just talk about ministry, church. Ah, church isn't that important. I can go once in a while. Oh, serving in the church isn't really a big deal. I can just come and consume. Oh, supporting the ministry of the church, uh, supporting financially and helping the church do what God's called to do. You know, I, I've, got, I've got other plans for my finances. Oh, you know what? I, I can hold a grudge against this person. I can be part of the church and continue to be bitter toward this person that did something mean to me. Listen, all of these are the opposite of what God says. They are not truth at all because they come from the father of lies who does not stand in truth. What lies are you believing? What lies does the enemy whisper that aren't on my list that maybe they're in your ear? This enemy, he's a deceiver. He deceives by twisting the scripture, just just it just enough. He deceives by telling lies. And, and third, he deceives by tailoring his disguise. Well, this is going to lead to the next strategy, the next scheme of the enemy. But, but look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. This is talking about false teachers, talking about those who do not teach the one true gospel. Listen to what the Bible describes these false teachers being like and, and notice how they connect false teachers to the father of lies. Verse 13, it says, for such men are false apostles, deceitful, there's the word, you can circle it if you want, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. <laughs> Satan is a master of disguise. He doesn't show up in your presence with, a, with these, these pointy horns and a red tail and, and you know, a pitchfork in his hand and some sharp teeth. Ah, that's not how he shows up. He shows up as the most alluring image you can ever imagine. He's disguised as an angel of light. He knows the description well. He used to be one. 
Before Satan's moral fall from heaven, he, he was an angel of highest order till pride was found in his heart. He knows how to play the game. He knows how to look like an angel. He knows how to be disguised in light. He knows how to appear in a way that is it's like honey on your tongue. It's so sweet, his words. This is why we, let's just lay it out there. This is why we live in a world that's, has, we have so many popular Christian teachers that don't teach Christ. There's so many places you can go and you can gather for worship and you can hear a great message that will make you feel really good about yourself and your moral standing. There seems like every week I see some other some new article about some, some pastor of a giant church who, who's just sidestepping the gospel just enough or sometimes even discrediting the word of God outright because he wants you to come. He wants you to be part of this ministry. And so the easiest way to do that is to keep whispering sweet nothings. He looks so great, sounds so great, Makes you feel so great. But it's the enemy in disguise. See, all of these deceptions, whether he's the enemy is twisting scripture or telling lies or tailoring his disguise, all of these are aimed at his core deception, which I want to call counterfeit belief. He wants you to get something, believe something that is close to truth, but not quite there. This week, I, I had a, a conversation with a man who's been in and out of church for much of his life. And, and he was kind of a little guilt-ridden. He's like, yeah, I haven't been in church for a while. And you know, the big man upstairs, he's probably going to be a little upset at me. He said, you know, I'm going to start doing, I'm going to start coming, I'm going to go to church and, and I'm going to start being a better person. You know, I'm going to start reading my Bible. I'm going to start doing some good things because then God will be pleased with me. In fact, we, we asked him point blank. We said, listen, if you were, if today, if this was the moment that you died right now and you stood before God Almighty, what would God say to you? He said, he wouldn't be very happy with me. I'd, uh, I don't think I would go to heaven. Why not? Because I haven't been going to church enough and I've, I haven't been doing some good things, and I haven't, you know, I haven't done this, and I haven't done that. And his entire spiritual foundation, it was built on the same thing that many Christians in our world have built their foundation in. And maybe it's the same exact thing that you have built your foundation in. I am going to be good enough. How about you? Are you good enough? Have you been coming to church enough so that God will accept you into heaven? Have you been serving in ministry enough so that God will let you into heaven? Have you let, helped enough old ladies cross the road so that God will say, okay, you've done enough good, you can come to heaven? You realize all of that is, at its very core, counterfeit belief. At its very core, it's counterfeit belief. This is what the cults teach. Every cult, sooner or later, you, you, if you dig down deep enough, it's you have to be good enough. You have to do certain things to be approved of by God. 
This is what, I would say this is what the secular humanists of our world teach. Even though they have a very relativistic idea of God and morality, they have some sort of standard that says, here's what it looks like for you to be good enough to be approved. This is what the uh, fastest growing religion in the United States over the last 20 years teaches. Have you heard of it? It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. That's a lot of words, right? We've talked about it before here, though. This is the idea that moralism, God wants me to be good, and therapeutic, God wants me to be happy, and then deism is God's kind of aloof, and he's kind of disconnected, and he's not really involved in our lives. He's just kind of out there in the heavens. Listen, this is what most people in many churches end up believing. God wants me to be good and happy, and then I'll go to heaven. You can't be good enough. You can't try hard enough. This, this is what makes the gospel such a beautiful thing, church. Because the scripture teaches, not the deception of the enemy, but the scripture teaches that you, you're in a sorry state. That you and I, we've rebelled against our maker. We've been wicked and selfish, and we deserve the righteous judgment of God. But God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, and Jesus did the amazing thing. He lived a perfect life, and he died a sacrificial death, and he says, let me give that to you. I'm going to give you credit for my perfect life, and I'm going to take the price of all of your sins. And if you are willing to believe in me that I am the perfect sinless son of God, that I died and that I was resurrected, if you will believe in me, you will have life eternal. The, the enemy wants to get it twisted in your mind. He wants you to think it depends on how good you are. I, I almost, I'm not going to do it, but I almost want to ask everyone to raise their hand. Have you ever believed that before? It's about how good I can be. Maybe you believe it right now. I want you to see this is the tactic of the enemy. He aims to deceive. But what's the flip side? If his aim is to deceive, well, what, what, is the, what is the rescue here? Well, the rescue is really the response of Jesus. And the response of Jesus is that Jesus is the truth. If your enemy is a deceiver, well, then here's, here's your response. Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6, this is a memory verse for us, right? It says, Jesus, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I mean, this is just such a beautiful, beautiful verse. But here's what Jesus says. He says, with, with no watering it down, with no twisting it, with, with no room at all to wiggle around it, with, with no mistaking this reality, Jesus says, he alone is the way. There's no other way. If you want to get to the Heavenly Father, if you want eternal life with God, listen, it's not through Jesus and your good works. It's not through Jesus and Joseph Smith. It's not through Jesus and or, or Muhammad. It's not through Jesus or self-actualization. It's only through Jesus. He says, I am the way. And then notice this next phrase. The truth. The highest truth, the greatest truth, the truth that you need more than anything else. He is, in fact, the truth. Don't you love this? Every time the enemy wants to bring deception, Jesus, he's right there saying, no, look at me. I am the truth. Every time the enemy wants to twist the scriptures, he says, no, look at the word of God. 
Jesus is the word that became flesh. Look at me. I am the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Eternal life is only given through him. You know, this John 14 passage, a few chapters later, Jesus is arrested. He's standing before Pilate, and, and Pilate asks him, he says, are you a king? And Jesus answered, he says, you say that I am a king. Look at this, he says, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Do you want to know what truth is? Do you want to know how to hear truth? Listen to Jesus' voice. He's, he, he'll speak to you anytime you want. Anytime you want a word from God, he'll speak to you any given moment. You wake up at 2 a.m. and you don't know what to sleep, and you, or you don't, can't go back to sleep. You think, maybe I'll go watch Netflix. No, you can listen to his voice opening up the pages of the sacred text and reading. You can hear his voice anytime you want. Jesus, he is the truth. He's the truth. Now see this? He wants you to be deceived. Enemy, the enemy does. So that he can point at you and say, look at the wrong things that that guy believes. Look at the wrong things that lady believes. God, they don't believe what's true about you, but Jesus is the truth. Well, I said there's two tactics that I want to look at tonight. Two schemes that Satan uses to set you up. The first one is he is a deceiver. The second one, though, is that he is a tempter. He's a tempter. This is, this is the second way that he wants to find a way to accuse you. He wants to accuse you by tempting you. Can you just uh, look with me at a few passages of Scripture? Jesus, right after his baptism, right after this incredible moment where he hears the voice of God, says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. The spirit comes and rests upon him. You have the triune God interacting before mankind visibly, right, and audibly. And then you have Jesus. He is led away into the wilderness. Look at Matthew chapter one, verse, or chapter four, verses one through two. Right after Jesus' baptism, it says, And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, Jesus, he was hungry. Look at this moment. The enemy, he, he sees Jesus in a moment of weakness, and he comes right to him and he starts to tempt him. We've spoken about this recently. You might remember. Satan comes to Jesus and he says, first of all, turn these, lo- or turn these, these stones into bread so that you can eat. What, is, what does Satan appeal to? He, he tempts Jesus with the physical. Here, I'll give you something physical to, to make your, your stomach stop growling. And then he, he tempts Jesus another way. He, he says, okay, Jesus, I'll take you up to a high spot. And, and here's the deal. Throw yourself down. And and the angels of heaven will come and they will rescue you. And when the angels of heaven rescue you from dying, here's what's going to happen. Everyone will know that you are the Son of God. 
It will be undeniable. He says, Jesus, here's what you can do. You can, you can do the shortcut. You cannot do what God has planned. You can do the shortcut, and everyone will know that you're son of God. Instead of doing all of these miracles and spending all of these years with all of these stiff-necked people, you can just show right from the very beginning of your ministry that you are the son of God. It will make things so much easier on you. And then do you remember the third temptation? Satan comes to Jesus and he says, how about this, Jesus? Bow down and worship me. And I will give you everything you've ever wanted. Bow down and worship me and I will give you, listen to this church. He says, I will give you all of the kingdoms of the earth. Now, you want to know what Jesus is going to have at the end? The very, very end when he judges and he makes war when he comes back, his second coming, when he, when he righteously judges all the nations, he is going to be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know what he's going to have? All of the nations. Do you realize the throne room of heaven is going to be filled with people from every tribe and tongue and nation? This is what Jesus wants. This is what he's promised. This is what he's aiming to accomplish. And look, listen, this is what Satan says. He says, here's the deal, Jesus. You won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to be beaten and crucified you don't have to die instead of dying to pay the price for the sins of people and then becoming king of kings and lord of lords. Here's the deal. I will just make you king of kings and lord of lords if you just worship me right now. He's tempting Jesus with what I would say is actually temptations harder than you and I have ever faced. He's tempting Jesus with these, these incredibly difficult temptations. He came after Jesus. He, he's a tempter. I think about 1 Thessalonians. Let me give you some background here. Some of you guys were with us when we preached through all of 1 Thessalonians, right? But 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, he, he preaches in Thessalonica, and then he has to leave kind of abruptly after some people have come to faith. And, and, and the Apostle Paul, he's worried because he just led the, some people in the city to come to Christ, and now he's gone, and he's worried. He says, well, what if, what if the false teachers come in afterward? What if they get pressured to go and turn away from Christ? And you can imagine Paul, it's like a parent with their children, right? When their children are out on their own, and maybe for the first time, and the parent's like, I hope they're okay. I'm not sure if they're okay. I'm going to stay up until they come home, right? This is Paul with the church in Thessalonica. But look at what he says, chapter 3, verse 5. He says, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. He sent someone to go and check on them. Look at what he says. For fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Tempters are going to tempt. <laughs> Satan is the tempter. And, and he, Paul recognized, he loves to tempt those who are young in the faith. These believers just came to the faith. Paul got run out of town before he got murdered. <laughs> and the tempter, you know what he wants to do? He wants to tempt those young in the faith. He does the same thing today. He wants us to get, get us maybe with a false idea of what worship looks like. 
He wants us to get, uh, get us to think that our faith is only as strong as our emotional feelings about certain things. He wants to get us to believe that we have to be good enough to finish earning our salvation like Jesus did like 99% of it, but we have to do the the final 1%. He wants to tempt us to all those things, plus he wants to tempt us toward idolatry, toward worshiping the wrong things. He wants to tempt us toward immorality, to living a life that's not holy and pure. He, He came after Jesus he came after brand new Christians. In fact, Jesus himself tells a parable in Matthew chapter 13 about a sower. He says, the sower goes out and he starts scattering the seeds. I don't have time to tell the whole story, but you know, he scatters the seeds and some falls on the pathway and birds come and eat it right away. Some of the seed it falls on the shallow ground and in that shallow ground it starts to grow but then the sun comes and scorches the seed, and so it doesn't grow anymore. Some of the seed, it falls among the, the weeds and the thorns, and so the, the seed starts to grow, but then, then the weeds come and they choke out the produce. And Jesus says some of the seeds falls on the good soil, and it has an abundant production. I said I wasn't going to tell the whole story, but I guess I am. Jesus says, the seed is the word of God. He says, the seed that falls on the pathway is the seed that falls on a hard heart, the unbelieving heart. The enemy comes, Satan comes, and he snatches it up right away. He doesn't want you to hear it. This is what we talked about on Easter, how he works to blind the eyes of the unbeliever from the gospel. He says, some of the seeds, it falls on the shallow soil, and it starts to grow, but then the sun comes up. He says, These are the, this is the persecution. This is the, the pressures of life, the difficulty of life. Life gets hard. Someone says, I'm interested in Jesus, but life gets hard, and so they turn away from following him, trusting in him. And here's the part I want to get to. So some of the seed, it falls among the thorns, among the weeds, the seed starts to grow. It looks so promising. They, they, they want the truth. Verse 22. But as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You know what the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches are? Temptation. Temptation. I was sharing with my Friday school class this week that sometimes this temptation comes for young believers when you're, you know, you're raised in the church. You, you know so much about truth and about God, but then, you know, at school or maybe it's, a, maybe it's at work, you meet, a, meet that guy or you meet that girl and they're just so handsome or so beautiful, but they're not a Christian. But you like them so much, but they don't so much like your faith. And you, you see that there's a crossroads, and you say, I can pursue this person, or I can cling to the truth. You ever seen someone pursue the person instead of the truth? Sometimes it looks like the cares and concerns of life. 
Where you know what, it's spring here in the Northwest and the, the nice weather's starting to show up and you think, Yo, you know, church is good sometimes, but you know what I really want is my vacations and what I really want is to go and enjoy the sun. I want to be, be going and I just want to soak up life. Or, or maybe it looks like, you know what, I just want to earn a little bit of extra money so I can have a little bit more things and you know, I want that nicer car or that nicer house or that nicer vacation. And you end up see, being so involved in the world and the temptations, whether it's immorality or idolatry, whether it's something lustful or maybe it's just something a good gift uh, that we enjoy as creatures, but you end up setting your heart on worshiping that, that you leave the truth behind and the word proves unfruitful. All of this is what? It's the enemy tempting you, trying to lure you away from Christ. See, the core temptation is, here's what I would call it, counterfeit behavior. Counterfeit behavior. You know, in the last two weeks, we've seen these, the, the, these core issues. We've seen Satan and his core accusation is counterfeit blame. He wants you to feel guilty for your sin, even though Jesus has died and rose again. You've seen this, this counterfeit deception. He wants you to believe something other than the gospel and Christ alone. And now you see this counterfeit temptation is, is he wants you to, be, or to, to act in a different way rather than what Christ has called you to, the life that Christ has called you to live. What is, what is your response with this third tactic, this third scheme well, the first scheme, Satan's the accuser. Your, your response is, Jesus is my advocate. The, the next issue is, he is the, he, Satan is a deceiver, and your response is, Jesus is the truth. But, but I have two responses for this last issue. When the enemy comes with temptation, here's your response. First of all, Jesus Christ is the one who sympathizes. I started with this incredible passage about Christ. Hebrews chapter 4. Let me just encourage your heart with this. Maybe if you're a believer in Christ, can I just ask you, would you just close your eyes for a moment? Let me read this text, and I want to read it recognizing this is your text in the moment when Satan is tempting you. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ was tempted. I want you to remember that Jesus Christ sympathizes. And what I want you to see so clearly is that in the moment when you need help, you have grace and mercy. Let me read the text. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He doesn't look down on you. He, he doesn't think little of you. Instead, he sympathizes. The text continues. It says, But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Here it is, verse 16. Let us then, with confidence, not with timidity, not with fear, not with apprehension. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, let me invite you to open your eyes back up.
when you are tempted, you don't run away from Jesus. You run toward him. When you give in to temptation, you don't hide from Jesus. You don't go and climb under your bed and say, I've messed up again. Jesus must not love me. No, you go confidently into the throne room, into the throne of grace. And in that moment, what do you find? Mercy. This is when Jesus says, I'm not going to give you the punishment you deserve. What do you find? Grace. This is when Jesus says, I'm going to give you the the favor that you don't deserve. And it says, this grace to help you in your time of need. I told you this is marvelous. Jesus is your sympathizer. Secondly, Jesus Christ is your way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Brother or sister in Christ, maybe you've been given in a temptation this week. Maybe even today. Maybe you're struggling with your pride. You know when you're speaking with pride. You know when you're treating people like they're less than you. Maybe you've been struggling with your greed. Your life is aimed at what you can get your hands on. Maybe you've been very selfish and you come off, you're able to play it cool and act like you're not, but you know in your heart that you are. Maybe you're full of lust. Maybe you've been going places or doing things that you should not be doing. Look at this, this truth. It says, every time you're tempted, every time you're tempted, not only will you not be tempted beyond your ability, you can withstand it, but God will always provide you a way out. You always have an escape. Now, we're weak, you and I, but I want you to realize this. Every temptation you face, God will always provide an escape. Let me go back to my big idea. All of this leads me to to remind you, you can stand against the devil if you stand in Christ. This is the plan. You can stand against the devil if you stand in Christ. So what do you do when Satan wants to deceive and tempt you? I'm going to end with this, just very briefly. What do you do when Satan wants to deceive and tempt you? First of all, be rooted in Christ. The more you know the word of God, the less you're going to be deceived. Let me just say that a hundred times, okay? The more you know the word of God, the less you're going to be deceived. Say it with me. The more you know the word of God, the less you're going to be deceived. I want you so badly to be able to smell false teaching. (laughs) I want you to be able to watch a YouTube video and say, I don't think something's quite right here. You need to know the word of God. Test everything you're taught. I love it when people come and question me. Mike, you said this, but what about this? Let's talk. I am not a perfect teacher. I'm doing my best though, right? Secondly, be satisfied in Christ. Be satisfied in Christ. If you are satisfied in Christ, you won't be chasing after all these temptations. Psalm 37, 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You realize how beautiful that verse is? If Jesus is your delight, Jesus will give you himself. 
If, if you delight, if you say, Jesus, I want you more than anything else, he is going to give you as much of you as, uh, much of him as you can handle. And, and then finally, turn back to Christ. When you have moments when you realize you've been deceived, just let me just say this very clearly. Be humble in correction. Be willing to say you were wrong. This week, I, I had a conversation with someone about something on Facebook. Every so often, uh, most of the corrections happen from Facebook. Just don't post anything on Facebook, and you'll be really good, right? I'm just going to tell you that right now. But uh, a few times a year, someone will text me. They say, hey, this person said something on Facebook. I'm like, okay. And I just have a pastorly conversation. Hey, I saw this on Facebook. What's going on? Th- this week, I had that conversation with someone. They said, you know what? I was wrong. And they fixed it. And you know what I did? I said, praise God for the way the Spirit of God is working in your life. Because I've had moments when I've had those conversations and people have dug their heels and said, no, I'm right in what I believe. Even if it isn't in line with the Scripture. Be humble. Be willing to be corrected with the Scripture. Now I realize we've gone long. I told you it might happen. I could have turned this into five sermons, right? I want to end by reading from 1 John. Remember what Jesus is our advocate? Let me, let me just read a few verses from 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 through chapter 2, verse 2. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Listen, you are tempted and you have sinned. I have been tempted and I have sinned. But look at this. My little children, we looked at this last week. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Here it is. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only not ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Listen, you've believed wrong things. You have done wrong things. And the accuser, he's pointing it out. But remember, you have an advocate. You have an advocate that's going to teach you with his voice the word of God. You have an advocate that's going to stand against any accusation that Satan brings to you. And you have an advocate that sympathizes with you in your weakness and will give you a way out from every temptation. One last verse, and then we're going to have communion. 1 John still, chapter 3, verse 8, reminds us that Jesus came and his purpose is to destroy the works of the devil. You realize all of these accusations, all of these deceptions, and all of these temptations, Jesus came to destroy them. So with that, with that, let me bring this to a close. You guys are like, finally, right? Let me bring this to a close. We have looked over the last two weeks at our enemy. We've been doing recon about the one who wants to destroy you. But more than that, we have looked at Christ, the advocate, the truth, and the one who sympathizes with us in our weakness. And so let's conclude by looking at Christ, the one who died and rose again. If you are a believer in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to the table. The bread and the cup remind us of his sacrifice. If you're not a believer, just stay put, just observe. If you find conviction in tonight's text, take this as a moment to repent and turn back to Christ. And in just a moment, we will remember the Lord together and conclude our service.
for those in Christ, the table is now open. You may come and grab the elements, take them back to your seat, and we'll remember together. Over the last two weeks, we've looked at the enemy that is against us, and we've remembered that we have Christ who is for us. And in this moment, we remember the way that Christ has demonstrated that he's for us, the greatest way he's demonstrated, through his death and through his resurrection. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he prayed and he gave thanks. Let's do that, and then we will share in this moment together. God, I thank you once again for Christ, our advocate, the way, the truth, and the life. We thank you for Christ, our sympathizer, and the one who provides an escape when we face temptation. Lord, help us to remember these truths. Lord, please keep these truths in the front of our minds, especially in those moments when we are weighed down by counterfeit blame or we're, we're almost convinced by counterfeit belief or we're starting to walk in counterfeit behavior. Lord, instead, let us be rooted in Christ. Let us stand in Christ. Let us turn back to Christ. Let us remember Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember. Same way he took the cup. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Well, thank you for being here. This is a, this is a heavy topic, talking about Satan. <laughs> Coming to grips with this reality that he has schemes against us. But I hope you see that if you're in Christ, you can stand against him. You need not fear him. You need not hide. You don't have to rebuke him or bind him. None of that is what you do. Instead, you stand in the truth, the truth who is Christ. We are going to rejoice knowing that we can stand in Christ. We have one more song. Uh, during this final song, uh, or as we finish this service, I, I do want to remind you of the offering and the connection cards. If you have an offering or a connection card, you can take those, and there are these boxes by each door. You just slide those in there on your way out. And, I, and last week I made a bit of a big deal about this, and I'm going to continue to kind of repeat this for a little while. Just remind us that, that Valley, we, we are supported by you. This is not my church. This is our church. And so that said, I really want to say thank you to those who are giving regularly. I see your, uh, the giving going up as we remind us of that. I see that we're able to do more ministry because of that. And I just want to appreciate you and ask you to continue to, to walk in that faithfulness. That said, let's stand together. Let me pray one final time, and then we will lift our voices and rejoice as we go out and praise. Lord, we thank you for Christ. Once again, we thank you that we have Jesus. We have all we need. Let us remember that and let us walk in this truth. And we pray in his name. Amen.